Ever wonder the true power of sports? Well, you come to the right place. Welcome to the Sports for Social Impact podcast. I'm David Thibodeau, and I believe that by exploring the intersection between sport and society, we can better leverage the sport industry for maximum impact. We explore what sports true power is to understand the impacts on and the impacts of sports on society. Join me as we learn how sports can influence important policy areas such as the environment, transportation, education, and so much more. Mark Laurie is the chief executive of Street Games. He leads the Street Games executive team and support them as they collectively deliver on their mission and work towards their vision for children and young people across the United Kingdom. Street Games aims to create healthier, safer, and more successful communities through sport. Their mission is to transform the lives of young people living in low-income, underserved communities through sport and physical activity. This was a really great conversation about um, you know, bridging the gap between um, you know, uh, the sport uh, system, the more structured sport system with physical activity you know, going towards elite sport and the communities that are not able to access those systems. Um, Street Games is doing some really interesting work and in, in research in this space too. And their approach, uh, the five rights, uh, was really, really interesting to learn about. So um, enjoy this conversation with Mark. So the news for this episode is about shared micromobility efforts in North America. Now we've talked about um, you know, micromobility and bike sharing and active transport and the importance of that in our communities and making our societies healthier, um, you know, getting more people active on their commutes to work or to school or, or to wherever they are going. So I find this, this stat really interesting. So it's coming from the National Association of City Transportation Officials. So since 2010, there have been 730 million trips on shared bikes and e-scooters in Canada and the U.S. I think it's, that's a huge number. And considering that in 2010, there was 3.7 million rides. And now today in 2022, there's 130 million um, so huge explosive growth. Um, and since since 2018, with the introduction of e-scooters and dockless bikes, that's that's really where we've seen a lot a huge growth. Um, uh, a huge growth in these ridership numbers. Um, we there was a little bit of a dip because of the pandemic, and um, you know, we haven't reached the 2019 peak uh, from before the pandemic, which was 147 million rides. But 130 million rides in 2022 is incredible still. And if you break it, if you break that down into country between US and Canada, Canada actually still had growth um, in 2022. It, 2022 was a new record high for for, for ridership, um, uh, while the US was lagging a little bit from their from their 2019 high. Uh, so it was, that was really interesting to see. And so you know, every year there's more and more micromobility. Um, efforts coming online in in cities across the in, in, in cities across North America. So it's really interesting to see how this is growing and how popular it's becoming. Um, this report even shows which cities are um, you know, the biggest rider share the bike rider the bike share programs in Canada and the U.S. And so you know the first is New York City, and then it's Montreal, and Chicago, Toronto, uh, Boston, Washington D.C., San Francisco. Honolulu, Vancouver, Philadelphia, and then all the other ones. 
So it's it's really quite interesting to see how this is growing so much and how popular it's becoming. And it, it really just goes to show that people do want to be more active, that the people do want to, um, you know, engage in their, uh, you know, in, in, in these more active modes of transportation in their daily lives. And offering these services is, is an important part of our public transit systems now. So I think it's really important and, and uh, really encouraging that we keep pushing this and keep talking about this as much as we can. So that is it for this episode for the news. We will get back to the episode with Street Games and Mark. So welcome today to my guest, who is Mark Lawry, who is the Chief Executive of Street Games. Uh, Mark, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Um, I really appreciate it. And so why, why don't you start off by telling us about yourself? Thanks, David. I'm really, really glad to be here. So um, I've been involved with Street Games really since the charity was set up. So we're about 16 years old now. Um, I've worked in lots of different roles across the charity in that time. And then three years ago, was appointed as, as chief executive. But prior to that, I've always had a passion for working on behalf of children and young people. So I started life as a primary school teacher and, and did that for a few years. And then I made my way into teaching teachers how to do PE and sport better and then from there, I really got my passion for how sport can play a role in improving the lives of children and young people who don't have very much. And I worked on a number of projects with children in care, worked with projects with children on the edges of the criminal justice system and at risk of being involved in crime. Um, and then having spent a brief time in education, I joined Street Games, which has allowed me to bring together my passion for improving the lives of children and young people with my other passion for sport and physical activity. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I, I love that you said that, you know, you, you worked with other PE teachers to, um, to improve, you know, the, the quality of that education and that quality of that class. So I think that's a really big, it's a really big topic that's happening, uh, you know, here in Canada as well. Um, so I find that that's really interesting that you, that you, that you were doing that. And then now you're bringing that perspective to street games. So um, yeah. So, so yeah. T tell us about street games. What what is it, and what do you what do you try to do with sport? So our, our our mission is to transform the lives of children and young people from the poorest backgrounds through sport and physical activity, um, and we aim to help them and their communities become healthier, safer, and more successful in their lives and the things that they do. Um, we only focus in the most deprived areas around the UK. So those areas where there aren't many sports clubs, there often aren't many leisure facilities, there are often high levels of crime and antisocial behaviour, often the schools struggle with their attainment. So a lot of children and young people leave without good qualifications. And we work with an amazing network of around 1,500 community organisations. We call them locally trusted organisations who provide sport and physical activity and a range of other things right in the neighbourhoods where these young people live. And they, are, they often provide that as a year-round offer so that young people always have a safe place to go and somewhere where they can be active with their friends. 
Okay. And so I think you were, I think you started talking about it a little bit, but you call your approach doorstep, doorstep sport. So mm. what exactly does that mean? And how, how do you use that effectively? Yeah. So, so doorstep sport is about five rights. So we talk about the right time, the right place, the right style, the right price and the right people. And what that means when you're dealing with young people, sometimes the right time means not going early in the morning if they don't get out of bed before 11, (laughs) Uh, making sure that what you're putting on is available outside the time of school or college so that it's not conflicting with, with their other priorities in life. The right place is as close to their home as possible, right on their doorstep. So that place can be a patch of grass. It can be a community center. It can be one of those fenced games areas that you see on estates. The place is often within a mile of where young people live because many of them don't have access to cars. They don't have access to money to pay for public transport. So having it very close to home is really important. The right style is about it being relaxed and informal, so not lots of rules. Sport has a lot of rules, as I'm sure you know. So (laughs) it's not about playing those formal versions of football or netball or rugby. It's about young people almost making their own rules up and playing the games that they want to play in an informal way that suits them. And then the right price is very often free because for the young people we're speaking about here, their families in the lowest income bracket will have less than £3.65 a week as a family to spend on sport and leisure activities. Now, I don't know what the cost of a swim is in Canada, but the cost of a swim in the UK would be somewhere around £4, £4.50, which means that as a family these young people just don't have the access to paid sport and physical activity that those of us who are more fortunate do. And then the final aspect, as I said, is about the right people. And and these are the trusted adults that young people want to be around that support them both to develop as sports people, if that's what they want to do and improve their skills, if that's what they want to do, but also act as mentors and people that they can come to as they're going through their their journey as a young person for advice, for support, and to create an environment of fun. Okay, yeah, I, I love that, the five rights. Um, I think that's a really intriguing approach, and I, um, I'm, curious, I'm, I'm curious to know more about it. How, how did this approach come about? Um, so originally, Street Games worked in what were called New Deal for Community Areas um, in the UK. And those those were areas where maybe they were completely rebuilding a housing estate where people lived and knocking down houses in areas that were very run down. Um, and whilst they were rebuilding the physical houses and buildings in a community, we worked to make sure that there were positive activities for the young people who lived in that community so that they could access sport on their doorstep. And from working in around 15 of those areas initially across the grew and grew and recognized more and more that this way of working, providing free access to sport in a place where young people feel safe with a trusted adult that they know they're comfortable with, 
worked in more and more places. And as we've refined the method over time, we've been really fortunate. We've had lottery funding to support the development of doorstep sport. So initially it might have started off as a kickabout on a patch of grass where most of what was done was football because football, as you know, is the big sport in the UK. But over time, what we've been able to do is develop different approaches to doorstep sports so that, for example, with our Us Girls programme with women and girls, there would be more dance and fitness and gym and all of that done in the same way in a local community centre free of charge with an instructor or a leader that young women and girls feel comfortable with. So that that whole method that started life in those really run-down estates with probably just a bit of a provision of a kickabout and some football has developed over time to include between 15 and 18 different sports that can be played in a neighbourhood setting. Okay, amazing. So, and how, so how have you seen this approach uh, you know, and you know, Street Games, the, the program that you do, how, how have you seen it impact the lives of young people? Oh, so many different ways. So, I mean, a lot of the young people who, who first get involved in doorstep sport come in as the players or the participants. And, and for them, what you often see is a growth in their confidence in their belief, uh, improvements often in their mental well-being and mental health, um, physical improvements. So they will say, a lot of them, that they feel physically fitter. But then as as young people go on a bit of a journey with their, their local doorstep sport deliverer, they'll, they'll become the leaders and volunteers around the group. And at that point, they start to develop real skills for their future. So they'll develop teamwork skills, they'll develop communication skills. For those of them that maybe are at risk of being involved in more negative behaviours, being involved in doorstep sport can help develop what we call a pro-social identity. So everybody talks about antisocial behaviour, but no one really talks about how do you support young people to have that pro-social view of themselves so that they do want to do positive things. They feel confident to deliver and support sport for younger children. They have the skills then that will hopefully help them succeed both in education, but also when they go on to a life of work and, and employment. Mm-hmm. So the, the connections and the impact are individual. So every young person goes on their own journey but broadly speaking, those are the kinds of impacts that we see from doorstep sport delivery. Mm-hmm. So, do you find the communities that you work in re- receptive to the programming of street games, or do you find some some communities more hesitant to to you know start offering or to run these programming, or, or um, yeah. what has reception been like? It's a really good question. So, one of the things that we never do. We never parachute into an area. So we would never take a bag of balls and a load of our staff and go into a neighbourhood and just set up. We always look for the connection to the organisation in the community that is already trusted. And what we do is we develop a trust-based relationship with them through talking about 
what it is they want to see for young people in their neighbourhoods, what it is that young people are telling them that they want to see in their neighbourhood. And then we provide what we call a, a wraparound support offer to those organisations. So we provide them with training for their coaches and leaders in different sports so that they can make an offer that works for their community. We provide them with research that we do nationally that helps them to make the case for funding to support their work. We support them with fundraising. So we'll help them with developing bids to go to funders who will fund this kind of work, bearing in mind that if the young people aren't paying to play, then somebody has to pay for the provision to take place because very often in these areas, there's a very low level of volunteering. There's very few people, mainly because a lot of people in these areas are working two jobs just to keep their, their family well. There are very few who are able to just volunteer and give their time for nothing. So that trust relationship is something that's incredibly precious to the work we do. And we mm -hmm. constantly check in with local organisations about are we as a national charity doing the right things to support you in your local neighbourhood to provide doorstep sport in a way that young people want? Because if that trust bond is in any way damaged, then we don't have the permission to go in and support that we need. Right. Okay. Yeah. I think that makes sense. And, and yeah, I, I think that um, that approach you're taking with, you know, making sure that, you're meeting the community where it is and you're tapping into that local infrastructure that's already um, kind of there, I think is really important um, for making sure that you can have like that, that the most impact that you can. Uh, because, you know, yeah, as you say, if you just, you know, carry in a bag of, uh, you know, a bag of footballs with and your staff, uh, you know, <laughs> you might not get a, um, a whole lot of participation because, uh, yeah, it'd be harder for people to, to really participate in it. Um, but yeah, so I think it's really important, a really important aspect of the of the project that makes um, projects like street games uh, successful is making sure you're you're really working with the with the community to 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 meet it where it is. Um, so let's talk about the research that you do a little bit uh, more. So so you started talking about the research um, that street games does. Um, to, to, how do, how do you what what kind of research do you do <laughs> yeah so a lot a lot of our research is um what we would call action research so it's learning from actually going out and seeing what local community organizations are doing with their delivery talking to the young people about the impacts sometimes we'll use more formal surveys to ask young people for their thoughts on the difference that doorstep sport is making to them and one of the pieces of research we've done recently we've called it a thousand young voices and we worked with a, an insight agency called platypus to talk to a thousand young people aged 11 to 25 from deprived backgrounds from low-income households and to find out the things that are important to them the things that worry them their attitudes to sport what will help them to get more involved in sport and what are the things that prevent them from getting involved in sport and with with that kind of research then we're able to develop almost segments of young people that have different characteristics which help then the organizations who are delivering sport 
to maybe find the little connections for different kinds of children and young people. Mm -hmm. Could you give an example of how you've sort of um, implemented some of the research? Like, yeah, of uh, so with so with this uh, thousand young voices piece. So what what we did when we when we got the initial data from the research, we actually went back to a group of twenty five young people and said to them, "Do you recognise this? Does this actually look like you or your friends?" To make sure that what we then were going to do would make a difference to different groups. So if I can just talk about maybe a couple of the segments. So the, yeah, sure. so the first segment is um, called. I'd love to, but can't. A lack of confidence stops me. So this, this group is really keen to be active, but they're very anxious. They're very self-conscious. The fact that they don't feel good about themselves actually stops them from taking part. So in that case, what we would do is we would work with groups to support those young people to feel safe, to not maybe go straight into competitive sport because if they are anxious, being in a situation where they're immediately having to compete maybe won't work for them. And finding ways to connect them through their friends where they do feel most comfortable. So a session where they can come along with a friend will often work for them. So it's about both building on the things that they feel are important. So this particular segment do tell us that they appreciate the benefits of sport and exercise. So it's not they don't want to, it's just that feeling anxious, not feeling confident stops them. So we build on the fact that they're keen to be involved and we take down some of those barriers by the things that I described by encouraging them to come with friends, maybe not starting straight away with heavily competitive sessions and just finding the right mix for them to engage in a way they feel comfortable. Okay, very interesting. Um, yeah, okay, so uh, amazing. Um, so, uh, and then out of this research, I think you also kind of um, have created this uh, theory of change. Um, I'm not exactly sure how that relates um, to the research, but maybe you could talk about that a little bit. So you, 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 on, on, you know, on your website and stuff, you talk about, um, yeah, this theory of change. So how, how do you, how do you, how have you, how have you created that and how have you used that to, um, make your programming, uh, more impactful? Mm. So, the, so for us, the, the theory of change that we have on our website underpins everything that we do because, it talks to the approach that we take to provide the right kind of doorstep sport to then deliver some of those benefits for young people we were talking about earlier. So the theory of change, the, the crucial kind of column in it is the second one where we talk about enabling activities. And the enabling activities for us are some of the things that I described earlier. So supporting organizations with fundraising, supporting them with training for their workforce but also we do things like we connect local community organizations with bigger statutory bodies so in the work that we do around criminal justice for example we'll connect these agencies that are so great at working with young people with the police and with other criminal justice agencies to help 
them achieve some of their goals. So in some of those examples, the police will provide funding to run activities on estates where they perhaps have calls about antisocial behaviour or problems with low-level crime so that young people can be engaged in something positive and the police see the impact through fewer calls about antisocial behaviour, fewer young people needing to enter the criminal justice system. So those kinds of connections as part of our enabling activities are really important. And the other thing that we do is we work with the big governing bodies of sport. So we work with the Football Association, the Lawn Tennis Association, England Netball, all those kinds of bigger associations to help them think about how the often very competitive and elite and middle-class versions of those sports can be delivered in deprived estates to young people with no money. And so that bit of our enabling activity for street games is crucial, but then it's matched against the bit that the local organisations do to provide doorstep sport every week to collect the impact that they're having to engage the young people in their neighbourhoods in the first place so that they get them through the door and then get them involved in sport. And it's the connection between what we do as a national charity to support them and what they do as a local organisation to provide sport on the doorstep that really then leads to the impact that we're talking about in terms of health, in terms of community safety in terms of employment and skills and other areas. Okay, I think that's a really interesting and really concrete example of, um, you know, when you talk about the antisocial behavior and working with the, the police departments and, and uh, to implement those, those activities in areas that they find or you know, where they get more um, um, calls about it for. So I think that's a really concrete example of how you're kind of using the theory of change and implementing it and, and um, I think it's really, really encouraging to see that actually taking place and actually having an, an impact. Um, so I'm curious, uh, you know, just also when you were talking about that, uh, you were talking about that, that sort of um, the connection with the uh, some of some of the national sport bodies, like the, the football association and things like that. So I, I'm just wondering if you could speak about that piece a little bit more and how how you see that this work that you do with street games, how that fits into like the broader sport landscape in the United Kingdom? Yeah, so um, within the United Kingdom, we have the four big sports councils for each of the home nations. So Sport England, Sport Scotland, Sport Wales and Sport Northern Ireland. And each of those has a strategy that the whole of the sports sector takes a lead from. So in England, if I use that as an example, the strategy in England is called Uniting the Movement. And it's all about, it's completely focused on tackling the inequalities that exist in sports participation. So if you look at sports participation for 16 plus in England, you are 20% less likely to play sport or be active if you live on a deprived estate. And that is a challenge that doesn't just exist for street games to tackle. That is a challenge that exists for all of sport to tackle. So whether you're a leisure facility provider, whether you're a big association like the Football Association or rugby or netball or hockey, there's, there's an opportunity for everybody within 
the sports sector to play their part. Now, we as an organisation, we're solely set up to focus on that gap, that 20% gap and closing it for those people with no money. But for somebody like the Football Association, that's not necessarily their number one priority. And it's not necessarily what they've spent their previous time doing as an organisation. So what we try to do as Street Games is, is help organisations like the Football Association in a number of ways. So we'll help them by testing things out. So we'll we'll take an offer that they want to reach young people with and we'll work with young people in particular communities and see whether or not they like it. And if they do like it, then we'll support them to make that happen in more places. But as well as doing the practical sessions on the ground, we'll sit down with their senior managers and senior leaders and we'll talk about the realities of living on one of these estates. Because it's not like being a member of a middle-class club where you've got a nice grass pitch, lovely changing facilities. We're often talking, as I said earlier, about games areas. Some of the organisations we work with use car parks next to uh, supermarkets. So it, it's recognising that the environment you're working in is really different. And then also recognising some of those challenges for the young people of not having any money, not being able to travel, not necessarily having the right kit. And we help those associations to think through, well, what do we need to change then in the way that our game is generally delivered to make sure that these young people can play and sometimes that's the very practical things about where they play and whether they need kit or whether they can just play in whatever they're wearing. Sometimes it's much bigger things about really changing the way that they approach the whole of the group that is from a low-income background. So writing it into their plans and their strategies, not just doing a little bit of something in one part of the country, actually having it be something that all of the Football Association workforce are thinking about when they think about growing the game. Right. That's really interesting. And I, and I, um, yeah, bridging that gap, I think is really important. And I think that's something that's missing um, often when we think about, when we think about sport, because I think, um, uh, you know, at least from here in Canada, I, from, from what I can see, most of our national sport organizations and, you know, Sport Canada, well, uh, no, um, but like the focus is really on high performance and, um, you know, that, that, you know, more, um, getting to that elite level of sport and the whole sport industry is, um, built to lead up to that. Um, so I think it's really interesting that you have that kind of, um, coordination and that almost that, 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 that partnership that bridges that gap and helps bring, um, you know, sport down to the more, you know, to the, to the grassroots level where it's not, and it's, anyway, I think you were saying earlier that it's, um, you know, not necessarily always just focused on that competition, but just focused on play and, and getting people active and, 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 and engaged. So I think that's, uh, I, I think it's a really important role that you're playing in the, in the sport, in the sport world to, to bring those things together and, and kind of, um, yeah, as I said, fill that gap. So I think that's really awesome. Um, so yeah, it's awesome. So Mark, so thank you so much for coming on the podcast. My last question for you is, uh, what do you believe the power of sport is? That's a brilliant question. Um, I won't, 
I, I absolutely agree with Nelson Mandela's quote about sport having that equalizing power. But I think what I'd rather do actually is just think about it from a young person's perspective. So if you imagine living in a house where maybe we've just read something in the last couple of days, there are a million young people in the UK who don't even have a bed of their own to sleep in at night. So if you imagine living in a, an apartment where maybe there's four brothers and sisters and two parents living in three rooms in an apartment without all of the beds that they need, without really access to other activities. And then you imagine that young person having the opportunity to go and play sport at their local youth club. And what they feel is they feel a sense of escape from some of the other pressures of their lives. They feel a sense of freedom, the ability to run around and to actually feel the air rushing past you as you run from one end of the other. You get that sense of fun. And we don't talk about fun enough around sport. The whole reason why most people play sport, me included, is because it's fun. Yeah, They get time with their friends. They get to learn new skills. They get that sense of belonging. They get the opportunity to connect with people that they wouldn't otherwise meet. And that real sense of being included. And I think the power of sport for me is how it offers all of those things to children and young people, and particularly those who have struggles in other ways. Okay. Well, thank you, Mark, for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. And um, your insights and your thoughts and the programming that Street Games does, I think is really interesting. And um, yeah, I loved learning more about it today. Thank you. Thanks, David. Thanks for having me on. Thank you once again to Mark for coming on the podcast to talk about Street Games and the work that they are doing in the United Kingdom. Now, my key takeaway from this episode, um, I guess, is that I, I never really thought that um, I never really thought about how these, you know, these charities and these NGOs for sport for development could bridge a gap and help connect these national sport organizations with um, communities that they haven't been able to reach. So really, I the way I always thought about it was that it was more the the role of the national sport organization organization to try to reach those communities but i i really think that this approach is really interesting and really um worth exploring more and and um and really just trying to get you know more people involved in sport for any reason and, and not just towards these the high performance sport um uh pathways but I mean, just to be involved in sport just for fun and you know as mark was saying we don't talk about fun enough in sport um, and, and we need to do that more. We need to bring that, that fun back into sport and, and street games is doing that. So this is really awesome. And I look forward to following along and, and seeing more about what they're, they're working on. So that is it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening and we will talk with you next time.